Hello and welcome to the second latest Mooney and Politics podcast. Um, it's been recorded at around midday on Thursday the 29th and I've just done this immediately after I've done my podcast which featured my book review. Um, again, as I mentioned, I don't think it's too clear in the other... I don't think you can actually hear it, but there is a little bit of extraneous noise coming from... Um, some tree searching work that's happening on one side of the building and some roadworks on the other. So hopefully it doesn't interfere with the, the listing. Um, to follow on from the book review, when I published this in on uh, broadsheets, I included a couple of political comments, a current, couple of current political problems, comments and observations. Um, however, they predated what happened to Cabinet and the Sapone appointment. So therefore, I just want to look at these in a very, not in much detail, but just to give you a couple of thoughts on them. So let me start with the, the opening point, which is the point I made on broadsheet. Um, that I was responding to an article that Michal Martin had written for the Sunday Independent. And his article was, in many ways, a response to Jean Kerrigan and to Fintan O'Toole, who had written articles very, very critical of Fianna Fáil. Now, I'm not too sure that was the wisest thing that he could have done was to respond to Fintan O'Toole and Jean Kerrigan, because responding to either of them attacking Fianna Fáil is basically like, it's like attacking the sun for coming up in the morning. It's what happens, it's what they do. So I shouldn't be, he shouldn't have been surprised at it. However, in fairness to him, he is, he is the leader of the party and he does see it as his duty to stand up. And he felt probably that he had actually had a good week or two, uh, generally. Now, one of the curious pieces in his Sunday Independent article was like, this claim which he made. And indeed, it was actually foreshadowed the day before in a piece in the Irish Times by their political editor. He made a comment that, and I quote, some commentators choose to ignore that in four recent face-to-face -face opinion polls, my party was at between 20 and 22%. Now, I don't think that's a point he should be making because I think that's a point that and that invites criticism and attack. And indeed, I see in the latest Phoenix magazine that they've picked up on this, maybe picking up on the point that I made last Monday. So let's have a look at it. There have been 39 national newspaper opinion polls since election, since general election 2020. And Fianna Fáil's average rating across all 39 polls is 15.6%. Its median rating is 17%. Now, if you just took polls from the 1st of January 2021, there have been four polls that have shown Fianna Fáil at 20 or 22%. Actually, three at 20, one at 22%. And I assume these are the polls that he refers to in his article. The other 14 polls taken over that period, so there's been 18 in total since the 1st of January 2021, the other 14 show Fianna Fáil is anywhere between 11 and 14%. Indeed, most of those, I think 10 of them, show Fianna Fáil at somewhere between 13, 14 and 15 percent. So the average that Fianna Fáil has got in those polls is 14.1 percent. Now, as I pointed out on Broadsheet a few weeks back and in another podcast, even the most optimistic Irish Times Ipsos Nori poll finds that Fianna Fáil is in fifth place on just 8 percent. 8 percent among Dublin voters aged below 35. That poll figure puts Fianna Fáil 30 points behind Sinn Féin, 13 points behind Fine Gael, and 9 points behind the Greens. So, 
even the most optimistic opinion poll that Michal Martin is relying on to say things are fine, nothing to see here, all's okay, my leadership's fine, there's nothing wrong with Fianna Fáil, everything's going swimmingly, still shows Fianna Fáil is only 8% in Dublin. On 8%, Fianna Fáil will lose its Dublin seats. Fianna Fáil will not exist in Dublin as a serious political party, based on the most optimistic poll number he relies on. So if that, if that claim is central to Neil Hart and Martin's personal defence when he sits down with his TDs on the 1st of September to explain what's going on, then I think his case is about to collapse. Because, look, it's not my contention that Michal Martin is a bad leader or that he's doesn't have... that he's a stupid person. He certainly isn't. Now, I know he can be spiky and petulant, but again, who doesn't have bad days? But I really think he's a man in the wrong job. And as we've seen this week, his capacity for own goals is astounding. Now, I've always had question marks over his political judgment, even back to his time as a minister. But I have to say, and I think I've written, I wrote about this several years ago, in turn, in fairness, in 2011, 2012, 2013, he did what was necessary for Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil did, came very, very close in those years to being politically irrelevant. And Michael Martin kept it at the centre. He stopped it becoming a party of extreme social conservatism. He stopped it becoming a Eurosceptic party. He held the party together in ways for which he is due immense credit. He held the centre in 2011, 2012, 2013. It's from 2014 onwards that things started to go awry. And I've made the point, I'm not too sure I've actually made it in articles here, but I've made the point several times in private conversations with individuals and colleagues within Fianna Fáil. That if you take the, like, the, the two high watermarks for a lot of people in Fianna Fáil with the local elections in 2014 and the local elections in 2019, and people say, listen, look, the 20 election, 2014 local elections show that Fianna Fáil could be saved. And they're absolutely right. That's absolutely true. And in 2019, it showed what capacity it had to, to build and to expand. So they're absolutely right. Local elections and those two local elections were pivotally important. But people forget that on the same day, or not people forget, it's sometimes overlooked, or sometimes the euphoria about those local election results blinds people to another fact, that on both those days there were also European elections, national elections. And in both those European elections, Fianna Fáil's performance was nowhere near as good as it was in the local elections. Not even, not, not, within, not, not within, I was going to say analysis or all of us, but you might as well say it now. And there's a reason for that which is when it came to the national campaign, when it came to renting a national brand, putting the party across, not as this is the local guy who is a really good guy, so we have a really strong candidate here, we have a really strong candidate there. When it was based on this is the party nationally, this is what we stand for nationally, this is our identity nationally, the European elections, they suffered. They didn't do well. Fianna Fáil lost seats. Fianna Fáil lost badly in 2014 and did not make the gains that everyone expected to make in 2019. Now, a lot of those were organisational mistakes made by the leadership. Fianna Fáil didn't select its candidates in the 2019 European elections until the very last minute. They were doing it at Patrick's weekend. They were trying to rush through conventions. And they made bad choices. Not because they picked bad candidates, but because they did because they waited too long and they didn't give the candidates the time they needed to be in the field. So nationally, the things for which Michal Martin and the people around him have the greatest responsibility, that's not good. And that's something that the, I hope the parliamentary party is going to take a serious look at on the 1st of September. Now, that comes back to the idea about, I think, Michal Martin 
is a good man in the wrong job. And I think he is. And I think the episode over Catherine Sapone's appointment makes that point. Now, a few days ago, um, Barry Cowan quoted Albert Reynolds' observation when after Reynolds had had to resign over the the the, the, Brendan, the, the Father Smith um, uh, revelations. And he said, it's the little things that trip you up. Now, I know the point that Albert Reynolds was making in that, but, but the phrase also re- revealed his own misjudgment, his own miscalculation, because he saw his insistence on appointing an attorney general after the Brendan Smith affair, that he saw that as just a little thing, or it wasn't. It, actually, it meant more than that. And I think the same thing is possibly going to happen with Sapone. I don't believe it's going to end in anyone's resignation. I certainly don't believe it's going to end in Beyond Martin's resignation. But I think it reveals something that's wrong with Martin. And it reveals the way I think he's he's kind of in the... He's, he's risen to at least one, maybe two levels above where he should be. Now, there's a line, and I can't... I meant to look it up before I started recording this, and I completely forgot it went to my mind. There's a line about politicians saying that if any politician walks into a room and if they can't tell within two or three minutes... Uh, who's for them and against them in that room, then they're in the wrong business. And I always strike me as that's, that's Michal Martin. I think his political judgment and his political instincts are just slightly, uh, slightly, uh, slightly missed out. Now, I think what happened is not... I think, I, I think by the way, I think Fine Gael um, and I think the Minister Coveney and the Thornish of Radker have behaved badly on this. Um, I think there's, lack, there's certainly a lack of transparency. There was certainly an attempt to rush this through and hope to just get this appointment through. And it's and, and in its own way, it's a minor enough appointment. Uh, and by the way, let me declare an interest here. I know Catherine Sapone well. I uh, worked with her on the Shannon Reform campaign, and I worked with her kind of indirectly on the marriage equality campaign. And I, I like Catherine. I think she's a very competent, very capable individual. But I think there's a point in politics when it's time to move on. And I think there is a point where you're saying, okay, fair enough. She would be capable of doing the job, but so would a lot of other people. And maybe we need somebody whose views we know very clearly, because what the, the role she's been given, and it was a Fianna Fáil TD pointed this out this morning, that the role she's been given is a very clear one about the freedom of expression. And there's lots of stuff in what's happening in Hungary, in what happened in Poland, what's been happening in, in terms of an era of fake news, etc., but this becomes an important issue. And having an envoy on freedom of expression is not a bad thing. But let's have a discussion on how that should be done. Let's have this done before an Oireachtas committee. Let's approve these appointments. Let's discuss it. Let's explore it. Let's not try and rush it through at the end of an agenda when nobody else is watching. Or to hide it through as a name. Or to come in, as often happened to cabinet um, let me explain very quickly, which is there's a thing called the e-cabinet system. So memos are drafted, but other departments can see this. Now, only senior officials can see it. So secretary general, minister's office, uh, assistant secretaries, etc. So they can log into the e-cabinet system. And they can see memos coming up from both of the government departments. And they can see them being drafted. And they can see them kind of been, been formulated. And they can, and the, the, these, the, the memos are done on a template. So there's about 10 sections, which is... First section is what's the title of it. Second section is what's the main purpose of it. Third one is what's the details of it. Fourth one is to get into an exploration of the background to it. Fifth one is observations and then how it affects a whole range. So it's kind of it's gender proofed. It's uh, proofed against uh, a whole range of other criteria. And then there's uh, departmental observations, etc. 
So at some point on the e-cabinet system, that name should have popped up somewhere. That should have appeared on that memo somewhere. The list of names to a point. Or the minister came in with the memo under his arm, rather than doing it through the e-cabinet system, and basically circulated to, to, to members sitting at the table or the rest of it. And most of them have tablets where all this stuff pops up on. Um, I'm not too sure how they do it down in Dublin Castle, um, but certainly in the existing cabinet room in government buildings. Each of the ministers would have had a tablet in front of them, would have had the whole thing in, uh, set up there. Um, and so that, that minister, the minister Coveney in this case, maybe came in with it on a piece of paper and said, listen, this is what I'm proposing to doing. Now, that's not the way you should do business. That's not the way, particularly in a multi-party government, that's not the way business should be done. And it's been pointed out that the party leaders meet the night before to go through the agenda. Indeed, the day before, the advisors get together. Now, I'm sure maybe this has to be done virtually at the moment to discuss memos. And each, and each advisor has to explain the memos that they're bringing to government and to flag up the political points within it. And this is the key element of it. One of the purposes of a special advisor is to be there to catch the political stuff so that the minister, so that the various advisors can explain, well, this is what's coming up. And then others kind of query this and say, well, what's the point of this? What's happening to that? And there is a political discussion on it, which is to flag this up to their ministers. So how does how did it all get through that? And how did nobody occur to anyone? How did it not occur to anyone in those two earlier checks, as in the party leaders the night before or the special advisors that day, the day before, to flag this up. But even having failed those two tests, how did the Taoiseach see this on the agenda, cop on and then say, raise objections and then say, okay, I'll nod it through. Surely the sensible thing today is, look, his political antenna should have said, no, I don't think this is going to play well. I think this is going to look like um, political cronyism, even if it isn't. And say, look, I don't think this is the way we should do it. I think we should do this another way. I think what we should do is let's put this over to the Foreign Affairs Committee, let them um, discuss it, and let Catherine come in and, and, and discuss it with them, and let's get her appointment approved by them, and then we'll sign off on it. I think there's a whole range of other ways it could have been done. At the very least, it should have been delayed to the next Cabinet meeting. And the fact that he didn't do that, the fact that he didn't cop that, suggests to me that Michael Martin's political antennae are as weak or as off, as, as as badly tuned as they fear they were. And I think that's where the problem is going to come from on this one. Because, again, this is several unforced errors from Michael Martin. And we find this in the past, it's just when he has a couple of good days, a couple of good weeks, and then he finds himself hitting a problem because of something he has done. Now, the, the Michal Martin's defenders would say, well, look, basically he was, maybe not misled is far too strong a word for us, but he, was, he, he wasn't told the full situation, he was blindsided. And I think, there's, I think there's a certain element of truth to that. But the problem with it is, well, fool me once, shame on you, shameless wolf. Fool me twice, three, four times. Well, then it has to be shame on me. And I think that's where we are now. Um, I think the next couple of weeks, everyone is going to take a well-deserved rest. And I think TDs and ministers and advisors genuinely need a rest. I think it's been a very, very difficult long time for them. And while a lot of people have had problems with the rest of it, I think a lot of politicians are, I won't say burnt out, but I think just in terms of having to 
cope with everything they've had to cope with and deal with stuff, etc. I think they are entitled to a break. But I think we're going to have to come back to this very quickly, very soon in September. And I think the next September, October could be very, very critical um, politically, not just for Fianna Fáil, also for Fine Gael. Um, because I think the disquiet over the Dublin uh, Bay South by election hasn't fully passed in Fine Gael. And I think while I think Fine Gael people maybe have been better realised something that some Fianna Fáil TDs have realised, which is I think Fine Gael TDs have realised, look, there was no point in jumping up and down when the only resolution can be a meeting in Zoom. Better to wait until there's going to be a face-to-face meeting with all the TDs and senators in the room. And I think that's also going to apply with Fianna Fáil as well. So anyway, uh, as I mentioned in the earlier podcast, I hope you get a chance to enjoy the summer. I hope you get a chance to get away, e- either on the staycation, and there's so many great places to get to around Ireland. But I think a little bit of foreign travel wouldn't do any, any harm either. So anyway, so enjoy the summer, and I will see you back in very early September. Bye.